Hello and welcome to Studio Sessions, the big red and shiny podcast where we talk with artists about the ideas, inspiration, and processes that go into their work. I'm your host, Matt Kuhlman, and in this episode I'll be speaking with Stephanie Good. Stephanie earned her BFA in photography from the Massachusetts College of Art in 2004. Many of Stephanie's photographs are part of a long-running series of work that essentially documents small fragments of her life throughout the past several years. She is also co-founder of the art collective Refract, and works as a photo professional at the last photography lab in Boston to develop film. Join me as Stephanie discusses her efforts at building within the art community, her own personal photography work, and also provides a glimpse at how art skills translate into commercial work that we encounter every day. Stephanie, how you doing? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, good to meet you here. And so we're here to talk about some of your work. Um, do you want to start by giving some of your background and where you're coming from? Sure. Um, I am born and raised in Massachusetts, and I always knew I wanted to do art. Um, and from high school, I went on to Mass Art to study photography, and. Um, I thought I wanted to be a painter, but it turns out I'm just not a very good painter. So, yeah. how long did you give it before you decided to? Uh, Cause it two or three practice. years. Okay. <laughs> was not making much progress. So, <laughs> <laughs> I went into photography and fell in love with it. Um, my grandfather kind of started me off. He handed me his uh, old knicker mat when I was uh, taking some classes as a high school student, and so. Mass Art had awesome photography program, awesome painting program, mm. so I'd go there, and I've been making pictures ever since. Yeah, and uh, I saw that you started, or co-founded, uh, the collective Refract, is that yeah. right? Refract uh, started in 2009. Um, I met my friend Carrie Hulbert um, at a party for our then-mutual uh, boyfriends for a mutual band. Mm-hmm. And um, she was a printmaker, a photographer. We wanted to make a group that would kind of echo some of the things that happen when you're in college, like uh, critique sessions, just meeting up with other artists and being surrounded by a supportive, creative group. Mm-hmm. So, um, kind of some community building. Yeah, mm-hmm. community building. And we had each tried to start that on our own and hadn't quite really taken off more than like one or two people. So we decided mm-hmm. to come together and see what we could do from there. And what started as four girls turned into like 13 people and it fluctuates. And right now we're a core of five members, but it's still mm-hmm. going. Yeah, I was curious to know more about the group because I haven't talked to anyone that started anything like that yet, and also what kind of the experience was like um, taking on that undertaking in Boston, where a lot of people have their like positives and negatives about what's going on in Boston, but usually the gripe is like nobody sticks around; they all go to New York. Right. Yeah. It's it's kind of hard to get that kind of homegrown uh, community started community feel. Yeah. Yeah, it is pretty common to hear um, sort of a disgruntled artist statements about uh, mm-hmm. the community feeling in Boston. I think that... Um, and even in my own um, 
my own experience, I'd say yeah. that the community is pretty small. Like it is. If you go to yeah. Kansas City, you wouldn't expect the art scene to be larger, but I'd, I'd wager that it probably is. I think that Boston is just not as in your face as other cities. Like, you know, obviously New York is, mm-hmm. you know, so different. Boston probably will never be New York. So I think that when you're so close to a city that is so prolific and bold like that, it's so easy to try and compare yourself to it. But um, the fact is it's just, you know, it's this historical conservative town (laughs) that happens to have a ton of really awesome art schools, so it produces all these creative people, but it's also kind of a reality check in, like, what it's like to survive as an artist and since there aren't as many obvious opportunities that are in your face, it can be really easy to just get disgruntled with things and just kind of, like, move on. Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe I'm <clears throat> stubborn in that fact and that I've seen so many creative people through here that I just don't believe that you should just give up and that I think that no matter where you go, it's going to be slightly difficult, you know, more mm-hmm. so or not, and that... You just kind of have to make your community and you have to make it work for yourself and you can't rely on an already existing community to support you. Mm -hmm. And so that was like one basis with Refract is like building that community and keeping it going because it's something that's always going to change and you just need to always have a constant support team Mm -hmm. no matter what to keep making creative work. Mm -hmm. And what are some of the things that um, the group has done? Are you more like a curative facilitator of shows, or have you tried setting up like an actual consistent space to show work? Um, We never had like a brick-and-mortar space. Um, We were more of a concept, I guess, than, say, like a gallery. Um, Mm -hmm. We did house shows where we would convert in either entire space portion of the house or just like a, the living room and turn that into a gallery for like one night events mm-hmm. then we started writing proposals for shows and then we started getting invited to do things um, we also did some community based work like uh, we did this project called the envelope project where each member made a small piece of art like five by seven or smaller that could fit in um, a six by nine manila envelope Mm-hmm. And then we just left it around town for people to find, <laughs> which was really fun. But there's also a big chance that it could be thrown out or mm-hmm. <laughs> thought as suspicious matter. So yeah. uh, <laughs> we all of a sudden you're on a terror list. You yes. Can't fly <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we might revisit that and do it in like a more I don't know obvious sort of way. Mm-hmm. But you know, it was just really fun to just interact that way with the community mm-hmm. and who are some of the other members you said uh, what was the name of the other the printmaker that you mentioned Carrie here? Hulbert yeah. okay yeah, and she, she doesn't live here anymore does she I was, I was looking through the list of people to possibly interview and notice several didn't actually live here anymore so yeah. um, Carrie lived in Jamaica Plain she went to Montserrat um, and she moved to Austin, Texas in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe that she's moving back to Brooklyn, mm-hmm. um, East Coast. So we'll be able to collaborate more easily now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And some of the other core members that have kind of been here since the beginning would be um, Sarah Gay, who is an illustrator. Um, she also does video and animation and teaches art. Um, Chris O'Neill is an illustrator. And Aaron Morris is a photographer and mixed media artist. And Nick Kent, he is a painter, and I think he's branching off into more mixed media paintings right now. Mm -hmm. So those are like the main people right now. Cool. Yeah. And so we can start talking about some of your work if you want. I'm familiar with what you've got on your website, but you brought some things along that are probably more recent or yeah, more active I projects, I guess. I just wrapped up a project, yeah. so <laughs> um, it's... There's a version of it on the website, but not the final version. Mm -hmm. um, I have been taking a lot of similar-like pictures for the past 10 or so years, and they were always just pictures I made in between other projects. Mm -hmm. And I always knew I wanted to do something with them, but they were at stages where they weren't really ready to be really a series. They weren't just there yet, and mm -hmm. um, in the last couple of years, I just kind of got it together and um, realized that what I was doing was kind of just trying to capture moments of time, or that it's basically like a visual diary of sorts, mm -hmm. and it wasn't until I was putting it together for Open Studios that I realized there was actually a survey of my 20s. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, like my formative years, you know, mm -hmm. and all the people that come through it, um, lovers, close friends. Um, it is very much a self-portrait, but I try to make the pictures a little bit more applicable to most of the viewers so that they can take something back and have this experience that they can relate to their own personal lives, to their own stories. Mm -hmm. So it has a lot to do with um, some of my own like personal struggles um, with depression and anxiety and also with um, just growth as a person throughout your 18 to 28 years and mm -hmm. what it's like to be a 20-year-old. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. exciting times for most people, I think. Yeah. <laughs> just so much happens within, like, one year. It's just pretty amazing to look back mm -hmm. on that. So, <clears throat> you say it's like a visual diary. Are you somebody that pretty much always has a camera on them and is snapping pictures left I, and right? <laughs> I think I'm transitioning from someone who was kind of, like, addicted to having a camera <laughs> on them to someone who is, like, more doing, like, pre-thought-out, conceptualized stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I always had at least one camera, sometimes two, mm. and I always had giant purses because <laughs> I would just like pull out rolls of film and cameras. Yeah. But, but that's why I took so many pictures and why I have so many pictures to go through. Um, and there's something really great about that, but um, I don't feel like I have as much to say in that direction anymore mm -hmm. and it would be a waste of resources to mm -hmm. work in that manner and now it's more about like preconceptualizing what I'm going to do and then going to my studio and hashing it out mm -hmm. so. I think it's a transition that makes sense so like looking back at 
the work that I did, you know, when you're in your young 20s, you're just constantly, like, sketching, and yeah. you, you don't know what you're doing, so you're just like, I'm going to draw that building, and yeah. yeah, all the practice is building towards something, towards a more refined thought process, I suppose, and now I never sketch, I just do it all in my head and <laughs> make the piece. <laughs> exactly. I was also, uh, well, I am working again at um, Color Tech, which is the only film lab left in downtown Boston. (laughs) So it was very easy for me to develop and print my film and scan my film. And actually working there was like a huge part of making pictures Mm -hmm. because I was there for five years straight. And so I would shoot like a, you know, at least a roll a week sometimes like three rolls in one week and then nothing for the next and so I had just look at my binder boxes and like for those years they're stuffed and now I look at the ones that I have now and I'm <laughs> like that is so much more pre-planned and like yeah. concise and edited down <laughs> do you still work mostly with film? I do mm-hmm. um, I just I recently made the switch completely to digital I used yeah. to have like cheapo film cameras that I could like take my back pocket and like go on photo journeys but it just got so expensive I was like and the money that I spent on all this film and developing it I could have bought a digital camera (laughs) yeah I I do love the immediacy of digital and the fact that it is much more economical um especially if you're trying things out you're not quite sure what's gonna happen and you Mm -hmm. know you don't have that, oh, I just wasted $25. But <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to get source photos, so I'm yeah. not worried with like any technical stuff. I just need something I can draw from. So. <laughs> and one of the things I love about film is the surprise factor of you're not going to know what you get until it's processed. Mm, definitely. And it does slow me down a bit, um, which I think is something that I need. So... I'm going to keep shooting film until I can't. <laughs> but I'm also, you know, I work as a retoucher and digital imaging specialist, so mm-hmm. I know the importance of <laughs> having to transition because that's where the industry is going. Yeah. But for my personal work, I would love to just keep shooting film. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some of the images that you brought along to look at? So when I edited um, the series, which I titled Fragmented Memories, um, I basically made it into a book format because I imagine myself printing this as like a small six by nine book, something that can be handheld since they are like intimate moments. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have nine by 12 prints and um, they were sequenced by year. And... Some of them are, you know, diptychs, but um, others are full spreads. And looking at them immediately, it's kind of like a mixture of landscapes, portraits, and interiors. Those are, like, probably the three main things. And so I think, Mm -hmm. although that sounds really not put together (laughs) Um, the concepts and the style in which that they're shot I think is what ties them together the most which is why a lot of my series work together as groups more Mm -hmm. so than independent images some of them I do show as independent images but for the most part I really prefer to show them as like a story because Mm -hmm. 
to me it is storytelling and you can't just tell one chapter and get the whole point across yeah <laughs> so <laughs> um it's the a lot of portraits of um significant others and my travels um mm-hmm. like these are from san francisco so some like landscapes and just some spaces that i was in mm-hmm. and as well as like self-portraits in the neighborhood <clears throat> of where i lived yeah so there's like a definitely a consistent tone through them they all like feel the same it's not like you don't feel jerked in one direction or the other visually I noticed that a lot of the people are like pretty obscured and stuff though or there's like time lapse where they're blurry or something and yeah um I think that like with my sleep pictures um where I leave the shutter open for the duration of you know anywhere from four to 12 hours depending on how long that gives you this like ethereal look sometimes and so like in this one that's like a hours long exposure at night uh yeah that one's probably like seven hours um, oh wow and so you know, the ambient light and the other objects in the room are going to determine what it looks like mm-hmm. but I don't have much control over that yeah. <laughs> um, just looking at it I assumed it was like a long exposure but more like 10 seconds yeah (laughs) no it's you can see like the movement of the fabric and stuff like that but then there's there's other sleep pictures that are just so abstracted that it's more like an abstract painting Mm -hmm. because the light might have been really subdued and then say like the blankets were like a dark purple or something like that so the the light in the room is just really dark to begin with Mm -hmm. um and I think I echo some of that feeling in the way I take portraits and um, landscape shots is that I like to take I guess an abstract expressionistic sort of (laughs) way of looking at it Um, I like to evoke more of a feeling than like a just specific detailed realistic thing because mm-hmm. for me that's what the pictures are about not like oh Chris here mm-hmm. has more about brown these. curly hair <laughs> like more about the experience of looking at it rather than the subject yeah exactly it's, uh, so all my pictures have uh, I guess a darker coloration oftentimes and selective focus too because I'm doing like long Mm. exposures or movement while I'm exposing or doing long exposures with a popped flash or something so you have like different layers of texture coming through Mm -hmm. and throughout the series do we see like are you able to recognize the same scenes a lot of time It it all seems really different like you would assume that if you're like percentage-wise, spending most of your time in one place that you would see, like, your apartment a lot or something, but I didn't necessarily see, like, yeah. a recognizable spot, like, oh, it's that same room or something. No, I think I, I made the same types of scenes 
throughout the different places I've lived. Um, I moved a lot, although living in the same region, mm-hmm. I would move like every year. Yeah. So my home, which is my haven where I shot so much, mm-hmm. never stayed the same. <laughs> and I did a lot of traveling um, by car, so I would photograph on the road and also like any trips like there's um I went to Barcelona two years ago that's in there mm-hmm. um, this is Maudsley in Newburyport in Gloucester and yeah just random things like this was during an apple picking mm-hmm. <laughs> um, although this llama eating an apple looks like it reminded me of those paintings where a pig is, you know, on a table for a feast with it's an apple stuffed in its mouth. And that's kind of what I was going for, just because I had this, like, slow, disturbingly romantic gesture of trying to eat this apple. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, this one's echoing sort of like the old draped... Venus type things mm-hmm. um, I guess because I did so much and traveled even within like small areas a lot and went to different houses since hung out with many different people that I've managed not to make like 17 pictures of my bedroom mm-hmm. but in some ways, I do feel like I have made 17 pictures of my bedroom. Yeah. Maybe they're not all in the series. Yeah. <laughs> so is the series like pretty much done now, are you saying? Or? I think that this chunk of time is done. I might edit it further and make it even smaller than what it is now. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's 50 pages. You're still going definitely for a book format. With a it. book format, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's about a hundred images, a little bit less because some of them are spreads. Mm-hmm. But um, for ten years, I think that's pretty good. But also, I think that I could probably edit out a couple more images. Mm-hmm. This is only a couple of weeks finished, so yeah. I haven't really had time mm-hmm. to like sit with it yet. I got you right at the right time. Though. Yeah. <laughs> um, I left up my progress wall at my studio for open studios and. Um, the way that I kind of have been editing my images is by um, taking large sheets of cheap drawing paper and just using artist tape and hanging that on the wall and then using my mini lab prints from when I worked at Colortech and when I work now. Mm-hmm. And because I always get um, small prints to reference for editing. And so I would just go through every year and tape up the ones that I thought. I should use, but then go through again and write down all like the notes of what's happening during this period and who I was dating, what was I doing, how was I feeling, and it's kind of like a stream of consciousness. And right now I have 2003 through 2010 still up there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about how that's presented that I really find interesting. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it, mm. but I noticed that a lot of people responded well to that, 
so I think there's something that I need to work with on that maybe because it's so like out in the open mm-hmm. some other projects that you worked on you didn't have a ton of work on your site outside of right. that there was one other one where uh, I think you were projecting some type of images and then taking pictures of the projections yeah yeah um, that was my senior thesis project mm-hmm. when I was at school um, it's called the projection series and so I kind of started by being stuck and not really knowing what project I was going to do (laughs) and I was taking photographs of the TV screen Um, my friend and I lived in Mission Hill and we had like the crappiest TV with bunny ear antenna Um, we got we got like three (laughs) channels it was like the only reason we had the TV was to play movies on it Mm -hmm. we were just really cheap and didn't want to buy a cable mm-hmm. um, and I was kind of like just stuck psychologically at this point where like everything was just kind of noise to me and so I was making uh, I was like photographing like a couple inches away from the actual screen so that you could see shapes and color but it was really abstracted and so mm-hmm. then I made prints of those. Was it an old enough TV where it had that little like kind of grid of like red, orange, and green bars or something? I remember in the eighties we had like this TV, and if you got really close, you could see the little pixel oh, thing. No. It was I don't crazy. Think so, but you could definitely see the snow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so I I made prints. Um, from these shots and I was like oh there's something here but I don't really know what I'm doing with them I made um, then slides of the prints and my grandfather had left me all his camera equipment when he passed away mm-hmm. so I had found this really old slide projector and when I was at home at my parents house like after he passed away I was playing with the slide projector and I put like the slides of these TV projections through them and I was like wow they look so cool projected because they're just like this <laughs> color yeah so I made a couple pictures where, and then a couple of them where I stood in front of it and I was like oh this looks really interesting these color splashed on top of this surface but I'm not really it's not like really anything yet but I like the idea of it mm-hmm. so then um, you know at funerals when they put up those like collages of family photographs I can imagine I've, I've only been to one funeral and that oh, was okay. like 20 years ago so. sometimes <laughs> they put up like you know a collage of a family member mm-hmm. so um, my mom asked my brother and I to do that so we are like looking through old photos and it was at that point where my parents decided to sell the house and move, and mm-hmm. that was the house I grew up in, so it was like kind of a shock for us, because we're like, oh man, we're never going to be able to come back to this once they sell it. Mm-hmm. This is like our childhood. <laughs> so um, I made, I took a bunch of pictures that I thought were interesting, 
and from from like the 80s and 90s like when I was young in the house and um, brought them back to school made slides of them and then I went back home with a 4x5 camera and I projected the slides with this old projector into the room and started making pictures and so some of the pictures are some of the slide projections are images of those rooms like 15 years prior okay. some of them are just the people that would like be in those rooms a lot but it's just about like the history of these spaces and like our family and what we used to do is traditions and just being there growing up and mm-hmm. um, so I ended up with eight final images and um, I basically just kept shooting until I got the right shot for the entire semester <laughs> <laughs> till you passed yes <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I've shown those pictures a little bit um I made a blur book for them, and um, I actually just kind of resurfaced that series a little bit. Um, the Cambridge School of Weston has an exhibition right now with, I believe, eight or nine artists, um, and I have uh, the image called Dining Room in that show. It, the show is called Layered. Mm. Um, so that image, the dining room, has um, a picture from, I'd say, 86, 88, somewhere around there. And it's our family gathered around the dining room table for some holiday dinner. Mm-hmm. And that is projected into the same dining room, which hasn't changed all that much. <laughs> <laughs> and then re-photographs. So mm-hmm. um, I tried to make the projections not as obvious in some images as the other. And mm-hmm. this is one of them where it's projected onto the... Um, Phoenician blinds okay. so you can only tell by like the weird light on the chairs and then like a little bit of a glow that it's like being projected and not just like superimposed mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as like you, you mentioned that you do digital photo work and stuff for your job yeah. and in kind of your own work approaching things from an abstract expressionist point of view have you ever been interested in actually doing like photo collage or like superimposition and yeah kind of freeform working with it i've definitely experimented with it um i've only had like two or three successful pieces mm-hmm. um right after like a year or so after carrie and i formed refract we decided to like both of us were experimenting with our own mediums so she was a printmaker and me with film photography um and she started doing silk screen on top of her copper plate at etchings um mm-hmm. and i started well first of all i bought a point shoot digital camera which was weird <laughs> but um <clears throat> I was shooting like everything in sight, so of course I had like nine million bad pictures. But I made a couple image transfers on wood, and I had used like several images and made imagery in Photoshop with that. Mm-hmm. But I'd say only like three of them actually <laughs> are successful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't quite um, got there yet. It's not, um, I think, 
at least for right now, it's not something that I don't think I will do very well at. I'm not really interested in creating completely abstracted surrealist mm -hmm. imagery. I'm more interested in capturing what already exists in an abstract way. Okay. And so I think that's why my collages are very few and far between. <laughs> <laughs> your actual job goes I was interested to talk a little bit about that because a while several years ago when I was doing my journalism thesis project I interviewed somebody who does what you do like digital retouching of photos and stuff and he also did other work but it was actually a really interesting process that I never really thought about until he explained like how they do it and I was like you're basically a painter you're like just yeah. kind of because he was talking about on oh, this one like half of the face on this old photo from the 40s was gone and so I just had to look at other photos they had of him and like make it up and he just like painted his face I was like that's like portrait painting basically and, yeah. um, some of the you had some images on your website and uh, I just think the process is interesting if you want to explain a little bit more about it and like what sure. some of the specific images were like to work with um, so for my day job, I work at Color Tech, and I work as printing, scanning, colorist, basically, but I do a lot of image restoration and retouching. Mm -hmm. Mostly, like, old family photo restorations, but we do get some jobs that are, you know, product photography that need cleanup, mm -hmm. so that's, like, like, pretty vastly different. Um, I also worked at a production house for almost three years doing product photography, so it's that's like a, you get the images from the studio and basically make them look perfect, and then you're cranking them out in a really high, fast rate. Mm -hmm. It's not as, you know, artistic. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a production job. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, like... <laughs> we had I was on set so you know some uh, vendors brands wanted their models to look certain ways so sometimes if they were say a blonde like a fake blonde <laughs> and they had roots I would have to yeah, get rid of the roots <laughs> and you know, any blemishes wrinkles in clothing um, and then there was drastic things where, you know, they would be like, I need you to take her in, um, elongate her neck, <laughs> remove that scar, remove that tattoo. And that's more involved and definitely was a learning curve for me when I was doing it. Because um, mm -hmm. you can certainly do that pretty poorly. <laughs> <laughs> if you do it badly, it's really noticeable. It's pretty obvious when it's bad. <laughs> like one that I thought was really interesting is like this one where it's just like a shot of an earring and you know the original it looks pretty decent you know but then you look at 
the one that you made, and it's like all these small little things. Like there's an extra piercing hole, and just like subtle lighting and texture of the skin and stuff. Like it's things that we don't really think about, but we're always given these like polished images in society. Like that's what we get, but it's just such a small difference but it's I think it's interesting (laughs) well I guess from like a product photography point of view the vendor and the employer whoever's selling the work you know the, the idea is to make whatever the product is look as fabulous as you can so that everything else in the picture is not distracting it's just kind of there but the product is like what shines mm-hmm. so in that image it's removing all these tiny little bits because it's slightly distracting and once you like mm-hmm. subdue them a bit and really polish up you know, the jewelry or the bathing suit and the other model one mm-hmm. um then, yeah, that was another one where I was looking at it, yeah. and I was like, I was like, what'd she do? I don't even know. <laughs> I was like, oh, that shadow's not as pronounced. And... Well, like, all of the shadows on her knees, like, um, mm-hmm. knees are just... Kind of fogly. <laughs> you never really realize yeah. how ugly body parts can look when <laughs> photographed up close. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is really kind of fascinating, um... Like armpits, elbows, knees, and feet are pretty gross when you look at them up close. And so, like, basically, I'm painting light in and then subduing it and merging layers and a bunch of stuff to, like, make her skin look as evenly lit. Mm-hmm. And then removing any, like, scars, <clears throat> um, calluses on her feet. (laughs) (laughs) Which most models don't have, like, noticeably, but you Mm -hmm. never know. Um, And then occasionally, like, they will ask you to take a model's, like, waist in, hips in. So she has been taken in a bit. Um, Mm -hmm. That I don't typically do too often just because I don't really like to, but it can be distracting to the product, so I understand why Mm -hmm. they do. Because you want the product to stand out and not like, oh, she's got muffin top. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's it's something I do, but um, I prefer not to. Mm. Yeah, it just reminds me of a long time ago I was talking to this guy that did some commercial work, and he was just like a painter and illustrator and stuff, but he was like, in this one, they gave me a picture of a bottle of beer, and said, make this, make your output better than the picture. He's like, how do I do that? And then he's like, oh, I'll get it. Just, like, go in with the airbrush and, like, make everything look, like, super crisp and, like, attractive. And I was like, he showed me the before and after. I was like, oh, it does look better than the picture. Just just hearing that, it didn't make sense at the time at first. Well, like, in this shot, like, I would make the background um, as smooth and clean with like some blurring and some desaturating so that it kind of recedes and she pops forward Mm -hmm. and keeping the lighting fairly even from that direction that she's being lit Um, so it's even though it's from like the side making sure that you know 
you can see both sides of her face and that the product is like really standing out mm-hmm. and it's it is a form of painting because you're painting in light and shadow and sometimes color um, and even with skin it's like you, you have to retain texture and not make it look like a giant smudge <laughs> you know make it look like a human and mm-hmm. that's it so it's like when you you think about it you're like oh all those like color study and drawing classes i did at school are They're actually being applied to something that's <laughs> well, like maybe in a few more decades like people will recognize digital as more of an art form like right now it's kind of an in-between where some people are warming up to the idea of digital being a real artistic medium, but for the most part, it's kind of like I think it's commercial being, application and like kind of marginalized in the art world. Yeah, it's being used in so many different manners, but it's like so publicly aware as a commercial product mm-hmm. that it's not seen as like a creative process even though when you think about like all the different steps that go into a commercial shoot that's mm-hmm. rather amazing <laughs> and concepting and branding and yeah, I saw a panel and somebody made a good point about digital where they're like it's hard to appreciate all the work that goes into it when you just like print it out of a printer because that's your perception of that is like oh it's very cheap and easy but someone He's like, somebody I know spent, like, two years on a digital piece, you know, just, like, tinkering with it every day, and then when you print it out, all that two years is kind of just doesn't apply, because it just ran off a printer. <laughs> yeah, but also a darkroom print in the color processor used to only take six minutes to come out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's really not that yeah. much different when you think about it. It's like... It's just, like, it's, the perception yeah. by the audience of it. Like, and, and it's the printer, too. Mm-hmm. Like, if someone is really good at seeing color, they can make that, like, master print. But mm-hmm. you can also have this really crappy-looking print. So, <laughs> like, that's the difference, too, yeah. in the art. Um, yeah, I think that's something that's lost. Mm-hmm. Dealing with the kind of commercial aspect of image-making and stuff, those, like, yeah... It's something that's been in art for a while since the pop art era and stuff. Is that something that you've ever considered, like, working with in your own work or introducing that kind of conceptual area? <laughs> no. Um, I feel kind of... <laughs> Better just to keep work work. <laughs> well, I feel like my personal work has always been, I guess, in some ways, a bit narcissistic. <laughs> I mean, it is for me therapy is how I deal with life, and I don't even think about the fact that it is how I deal with life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just intrinsically part of what I do. It's ever since I was like 13, 14, 12, maybe, mm-hmm. I've just used art as a means of like getting on with things. Mm-hmm. And I see like a huge divide between working in, say, an art therapy way and working in retouching and design. Um, I do think that, you know, there's a possibility of, like, combining 
the two, but for right now, I'm, I'm not seeing that connection. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure, you know, where the next project will be going, but mm-hmm. I don't really see it. Anything being... else you wanted to talk about before we go about anything you got thinking about upcoming? Or... Well, I have been excited that I have a studio space for the first time. Cool. Um, and it's fairly large, so I'm considering taking some projects that have been just kind of backburnered because I either did not have space or the know-how or the resources and trying to make them come to life. Um, I did some dream imagery collages that were digital collages of film shots. Mm-hmm. And I printed them on adhesive vinyl and put them on glassware and then lit them with candles. And I'd like to try and do, like, larger installation-style pieces. But um, mm-hmm. I'm not really sure where that's going to go yet. But um, imagery on glass has always been something I've been interested in. I've been, like, influenced, I guess, by some of the installation shots of, like, Christian Boltanski, But not in his concept but just in his aesthetic Mm -hmm. I guess (laughs) Um, and so I'd like to experiment with that so perhaps in the future sounds good maybe we'll see it around soon yeah (laughs) (laughs) thanks for talking with me today thank you so much Mm this episode of Studio Sessions with our guest Stephanie Good. You can find her work online at stephaniegood.com. You can also learn more about me at my website, mattcoolman.com. If you'd like to support this program, you can send a donation through PayPal to studiosessionspodcast at gmail.com. Even if you only send $1, your donation helps guarantee I can continue providing interviews with interesting artists for your listening pleasure. And of course, don't forget to visit BigRedAndShiny.com for future episodes, along with other high-quality arts and culture content. Thank you for listening, and see you next time on Studio Sessions. (laughs) 